Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest news in Xbox for the week of July 10th, 2019, including when you can play the Gears 5 tech test before the game's launch, of course. Microsoft has patented a Nintendo Switch Joy-Con-like controller. Cuphead is getting an animated TV show. And I went to the Halo Outpost Discovery event, which just took place in Orlando last weekend. I'll be giving you my thoughts and reviews on that and much more news coming up. Some brief housekeeping before we get into this week's show. Last week, uh, the show saw a little bit of a listenership drop-off, which I suppose could be attributed to the fact that uh, I pushed the show a little less on social media and things like that. I begged a few less people to come and check out the show. So I'm going to try to address that this week by maybe being a little more obnoxious and asking uh, to please rate the show on iTunes if you haven't already. I know that's not a really fun thing to do, but that's really the number one best way to get a podcast out in uh, kind of in search results. So uh, it would help a lot if you could just leave a nice review for the show. That is, if you're enjoying the show so far to help me out a little bit. And who knows if you do that for me, I might even do something for you in return. Maybe, probably not. And like I said at the top of the show, uh, after the news, we're going to be going into a full review and kind of discussion about Halo Outpost Discovery, which just happened uh, for the first time this past weekend in Orlando. I was fortunate enough to go to the opening weekend event of that. I'm really excited to share my thoughts and opinions on this very unique convention, pop-up themed experience type event uh, that was kind of a Halo fan's wet dream. So definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, But without further ado, let's just jump right into the news. We're finally back to a normal news week, so we've got a pretty decent lineup of stories to cover. So let's just go right in. All right, kicking things off. IGN recently used some NPD data to track the best-selling third-party games since the NPD's uh, inception back in 95. I've listed the top 10 lists for both cross-platform games and Xbox games. So essentially what this is is a list of the best-selling games cross-platform, whether that be like a combination of Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo, PC, um, or just some of those things, as well as a separate list uh, listing the best-selling Xbox games just on just Xbox. Keep in mind, all of these games are third party games. So no, no first party games like your Halos, your Gears of Wars and such. And then this is only tracking data for like the past 20 plus years or so. Um, so, I mean, that wouldn't really make a difference because newer games sell way better than games did 30 years ago. So I wouldn't expect to see anything like that on this list anyway. Uh, but without further ado, let's start with the the top 10 third-party games across all Nintendo, PlayStation, Xbox platformers, platforms. Sorry. So yeah, from descending order, um, the list goes Grand Theft Auto V, which should be no surprise, Call of Duty Black Ops 1, Call of Duty Black Ops 2, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, Guitar Hero 3 Legends of Rock, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, Rock Band 1, Call of Duty Black Ops 3, Call of Duty Ghosts, and Call of Duty World War 2. If you're seeing a reoccurring theme here, it is that people fucking love Call of Duty. All right, so the second list, which is 
best-selling um, third-party games across all Xbox platforms um, might look a little familiar, if not even a little more redundant than the last one. So again, from descending order, we go GTA 5, Black Ops 1, Black Ops 2, Modern Warfare 3, Modern Warfare 2, Ghosts, Black Ops 3, Advanced Warfare, Modern Warfare, and World War 2. So pretty much you got the number one spot taken by GTA 5, and then 2 through 10 is all Call of Duty. So what's really interesting about this list is it shows how, again, this list is kind of like the the kind of modern politics conversation of, you know, the shit you see online is not indicative of what the public actually thinks. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, if you if you fancy yourself a, a gamer and an informed member of the video game community, you might think like the biggest games of all time are all these like exclusive games, these gods, these God of Wars, these uh, Spider-Man PS4s, these these Zelda Breath of the Wilds, these games that made you know the biggest impact, uh, the the games that you hear the most about through Reddit and YouTube and, and just the gaming community at large. However, when you really look at what's selling the best, um, I, I, I mean it's it's Call of Duty, it's Grand Theft Auto, it's, uh, it's Guitar Hero. I can't believe Guitar Hero is still even on that list. But I mean, the point is, you know, it's the games that sell the best. The games, the reason why we get Call of Duty on an annual basis is because that game sells like crack. It's because the the majority of people playing games aren't the diehard PC gamers or the Xbox fanboys or the PlayStation fanboys. It's like your casual everyday people, you know, uh, for example, like PlayStation four is either just hit or is nearing a hundred million units sold. Uh, and there's no way in hell a hundred million of those units that like the mass majority of them are hardcore gamers. You know, what are the majority of those people doing? I mean, the majority of that hundred million consoles are your kind of casual gamers who buy a console once a a generation and they pick up you know their madden their call of duty their grand theft auto whatever and they have an attachment rate of like three to five games you know and they just play their their comfort games you know that's like the comfort food of gaming which is your call of duty your your grand theft auto 5 um i mean i just this list doesn't really tell us too much we didn't already know but i just think it is important to look at data like this and as a reminder that you know we as gamers don't really understand the kind of decision-making that happens at the higher-up levels at these game publishers and these game studios. You know, they, these are businesses that are making games based on what will sell. They're businesses that are for-profit, and they will look at their data and say, wow, Call of Duty sells like crack every year. Let's have a new Call of Duty out every single year to please our investors, to pull income, to break sales records. And that's what they do, because you know what? Despite how much we love to hate on Call of Duty, uh, or as much as people generally tend to sour on Call of Duty, it sells the best, and that's why we get so much of it. Grand Theft Auto V, I don't think that should come as too much of a surprise. The game's pretty much been on the NPD charts every month since it came out in the fall of 2013, so um, it doesn't shock me at all that that's like the number one best-selling third-party game in the past 20 years. But yeah, I just I mean, this is incredible data. One thing I do find interesting, however, is you don't see Minecraft on here. I don't. I guess this is only tracking hard physical copies. Uh, because if you really take into account Minecraft sales, I would have to assume Minecraft is absolutely on the top 10 uh, for both Xbox and multiple and multi-platform. So, um, but still, I just, you know, not breaking news or anything, but just a kind reminder that we as gamers 
are constantly at odds with these big publishers, these Activisions, these EAs, because we say they don't represent the gamer. And of course, there's some truth to that. But, you know, what we also have to understand is these are businesses and they're here to make money. And this, this data shows that, you know, they might not be the most compassionate developers and publishers or publishers rather when it comes to catering to the hardcore gaming audience. But they're smart as hell when it comes to running a business because clearly they know what they know what speaks and it's money it's call of duty <laughs> so uh yeah interesting story all right our next story is the batman arkham games are being re-released in a collection coming out on xbox one and ps4 this september um this story i'm reading from ign.com uh it says a listing for batman arkham collection was posted on amazon uk announcing the re-release ahead of the official reveal from warner bros or developer rocksteady however rocksteady's marketing game manager uh gaz davis uh confirmed that arkham collection on twitter uh his tweet reads quick info for the players who have been asking batman arkham collection is coming to europe in september and includes the E2DK skin, the first time it's available outside of North America. Early next year, E2DK will be released as a free download for everyone who owns Batman Arkham Asylum uh, or Batman Arkham Knight on PS4 worldwide. So again, this is another one of those uh, international Amazon outlets leaking a game. Um, so I mean, I mean that's just par for the course these days, but. Um, so yeah, the Batman Arkham Collection is getting a re-release on Xbox One and PS4, uh, and this is um, one of the most shameless cash grabs perhaps in recent history, just because you know earlier in this generation we saw a lot of these uh, re-releases where it was, oh look at this game from a couple years ago that was on PS3 that you probably didn't play, let's remaster quotes remaster it you know just re-release it um on ps4 and kind of double dip into that market um and then as this generation's kind of evolved we've seen these re-releases kind of become a little more sophisticated where we have like these from the ground up remakes you know these reimaginings of these classic games and i'm talking about things like your crash or your spiral reignited your crash insane trilogy uh your resident evil 2 remake final fantasy 7 remake these kinds of things where it's more of an actual reimagining of these old games that really do breathe new life into these these classic titles uh however i think this batman arkham collection looks a little weak by comparison uh, because these games are not very old they are already in hd and the third game in this entry batman arkham knight was a ps4 xbox one game so you're not like getting anything in the way of like a newer better prettier experience you're just getting all these games bundled together so i can't really see this being like relevant information uh, unless for whatever reason you are someone who hasn't played these games who is extremely interested in playing these games and for whatever reason hasn't gotten to them yet um, if that's if that's you then this might be appealing to you otherwise this is just a it seems like Warner Bros saying shit we don't have a lot of games coming out this year let's uh, let's take these games that are uh, have proven to do well and just throw them in a package and throw that out there um, the only other thing I can think is Perhaps they're trying to drum up a little bit of excitement in the Batman Arkham uh, series by saying, hey, we've got another one in the pipeline. Uh, this is just kind of reminding the market about this series before we ramp up to announce a new one next year. Although that I don't see as uh, likely because Rocksteady has confirmed that they don't want to make another Batman Arkham game. Um, but that being said, Warner Bros. could throw another studio to it uh, like they did with... Um, Batman Arkham Origins. No more information on that at the time, but you know, 
if for whatever reason you want to play the Batman Arkham Collection, uh, that's available to you. Uh, otherwise, those games have been available via uh, Xbox backwards compatibility for over a year now. So um, you could also just play it that way, and I'm sure it's much cheaper than $60 for the collection. But I digress. That's that. Next story. All right. Gears 5 versus Multiplayer Tech Test is coming July 17th. Now, this story is coming from Xbox Wire, uh, which is a site I try to get a lot of news from just because it is direct news from Xbox. These are basically just press releases. Um, but yeah, uh, you'll, it looks like you'll be able to play Gears 5 multiplayer, that is, ahead of the September 10th release. Uh, the article reads, we said that we'd like that we'd talk more about the Versus multiplayer technical test in July, and today we are happy to provide more details on how you can be among the first to play Gears 5 and help create the future of Versus multiplayer. Multiplayer fans of all types can enjoy the weekend's test session as you'll get to play Escalation, our updated competitive game type, along with Arcade, a new and approachable multiplayer game type, and a long-time fan favorite, King of the Hill. For players new to Gears or for those who want to practice their skills and learn the new mechanics, we've added a new training mode, Boot Camp. The tech test also features a short tour of duty, which is a series of challenges for players to earn content. Completing all these challenges unlocks an exclusive tech test banner. Players can also unlock three versus weapon skins by completing some additional challenges. All right, so this tech test is included with uh, an Xbox Game Pass membership. So essentially, if you have a membership, if, if you're a Game Pass member, then you'll be able to play this. Uh, additionally, if you don't have Game Pass, you can also get in on this tech test if you have a Gears of War, or sorry, I keep calling it Gears of War, Gears 5 pre-order. The tech test will be available for download beginning July 17th, uh, with online play being active from July 19th through July 27th. Then it will be active again uh, for a second session starting on July 26th and running through July 29th. So basically, beginning July 17th, you just go onto the Xbox store on your Xbox or Windows 10 PC, uh, and you just search Gears 5, and you should be able to find the technical test, and then you just download that and play it during its uh, its scheduled sessions. So Gears 5 tech test on the way. I mean, this is good. This is just pretty par for the course. Microsoft, basically, whenever they have a new multiplayer game coming out, they seem to do these. Halo 5 had a couple of these. It's a great way to satiate fans who are excited for the game. But most importantly, it's to stress test the servers and kind of make sure everything is good to go ahead of the game's official launch. So Gears of War 5, there's not much to analyze here. It's just we'll get to play it sooner rather than later. So stay excited and stay tuned for that one. All right, our next story. People Can Fly, the studio behind Bulletstorm, has said that they would love to give the game a second chance. They would love to be able to make a sequel to uh, 2011's Bulletstorm. So this article comes from IGN. Uh, actually, originally comes from Eurogamer, but I'm reading IGN's uh, article on it. The CEO, Sebastian, oh my god, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Wajis, I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Sebastian, the CEO of People Can Fly, um, said, quote, We want this IP to have its second life. We're still not sure what this means, and obviously since it's our own IP, we own that IP, and the IP is known, uh, and the IP is known and has its fans, we would like to do something about it. 
He basically followed up this quote by saying that there are no immediate plans to come back to this IP and that the studio would love to come back to at some point, but just at the moment, that's just not in the cards for them. Uh, People Can Fly, they're actually currently developing a game called Outriders, which was announced uh, not too long ago. Um, And then Bullet Storm is actually currently on its way to Nintendo Switch. So that series is getting some attention in in that regard. Um, But, you know, what's interesting about this is, one, I can't believe People Can Fly is still around. I can't believe they didn't go under. I'm I'm happy to see they didn't go under. Uh, But it's just seeing their name, it's like, wow, that I I remember that studio. I remember that game. I can't believe they're still sticking around. Um, You know, Bullet Storm came out in 2011 and it just... It seemed to have been met with like okay sales, okay reviews, but like it came and went and it didn't really seem like it resonated with people to where like it had any staying power or really left like a memorable impact on the community. So, you know, Bulletstorm, I never played it. Um, the only thing I ever heard from about it from people I know who played it was that it was pretty decent, but it wasn't like a must play like game of the year kind of game. Not that that's what it needs to be either way. Uh, however, I just think it's interesting that, you know, not only can this studio survive all this time, I mean, I think they worked on, um, I mean, they've worked on a handful of other games, including Gears of War Judgment, you know, in recent, in, in, in the years following Bulletstorm. So it's not like they just haven't done anything, but I find it interesting that they've, they've stuck around all this time since Bulletstorm's release and that they would even consider uh, making a sequel to this game uh, knowing, you know, just how much more competitive uh, this space in gaming is, you know, in 2019 and beyond versus where they were in 2011 when the first Bulletstorm even came out. Um, it'd be pretty ballsy to make a sequel to Bulletstorm. And, and just because, you know, these days it seems like people are willing to take risks on some smaller indie games, you know, these games that cost 10 to 20 bucks. Uh, but when it comes to like your big expensive games, people are looking for massive games that just offer tons and tons of play play time or games that kind of are already proven um by you know being sequels or being set in an ip or a universe that people are familiar with um so i think you know returning to Bulletstorm, i'm sure people would recognize the series um and that might help do something for it i mean i'm sure this the game has its fans um but it would just be i think a huge risk to return to this i think personally that people can fly are better off uh, pursuing a new IP. Uh, hopefully this new game they have in development outriders does very well for them, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's always kind of sad when you see, you know, a developers interested in kind of returning to a previous entry. But what, what a story like this tells is that despite how much they may like to go back to that, they know it's probably not financially the soundest idea for them to do so. And that's probably why we haven't seen the sequel yet uh, as this game kind of approaches its 10 year mark. So you know, I mean, if you're holding out hope, if you're a fan of Bulletstorm, I hope you get it. I hope this, the team can uh, find a way to make a sequel work. I know that um, Gearbox uh, published the remaster, the full clip edition remaster back in 2017 uh, that had Duke Nukem in it. Um, so who knows? Maybe they built a relationship back then and um, Gearbox would be potentially interested in publishing a uh, sequel to Bulletstorm, which would give them an excuse to make a sequel to that game to return to it uh, with less of a financial risk. So keep our eyes on that one for now. Um, Otherwise, you know, Bulletstorm, it's just, I don't know, it's just kind of a a random one. It's kind of a throwback. I don't know who's clamoring for a sequel, but 
I hope for the the fans of that game that I assume are out there and for the studio that they are in some way able to return to that franchise one day. All right, this next one is just kind of a passerby story. Um, Xbox is getting a new update this week uh, and adding a couple new features worth mentioning, uh, mostly for Game Pass and new skills for Amazon Alexa, which if you didn't know has been on has been available for Xbox One for a little while now. I'm just going to read to you the bullets, the kind of big... Um, update notes for this so xbox game pass the first thing getting updates will be getting a play later feature which enables you to make a list of games uh, from your game pass catalog for you to come back to basically just a list of games that you're like oh i'm, I'm gonna download them at some point and, and get to them at some point basically a, a, a backlog um, which is a really great idea but i know for people like me that's just going to turn into a uh a massive list that I will never tackle to I will never tackle and will just constantly mock me uh, because I have a massive backlog of games I would love to get to um, but in reality I'll probably just go play more Halo 5. You'll also be able to manage this play later catalog uh, not only from the actual Xbox console itself but also from the Game Pass mobile app which is also pretty cool so you know another thing to kind of dick around with when you got your face shoved in your phone because it's pretty much all we ever do these days. Um, additionally, Xbox skill for Alexa. So this new uh, update feature is going to add more countries and new voice commands. Uh, so by more countries, if, if you need more language support for Alexa, don't worry. X, the Xbox skill for Alexa on Xbox One is going to start supporting uh, Australian, Canadian, English, uh, as well as French, German, Italian, Mexican and Spain Spanish. Um, so you'll be able to set that up uh, if you have country or language preferences uh, for your Alexa app on Xbox. Additionally, for Alexa on Xbox, you'll be getting new voice commands. Uh, so you'll be able to ask Alexa new things like, Alexa, ask Xbox what's new on Game Pass. And then Alexa will be able to tell you a list of newer releases. You can also ask her things like, who's online? And she'll tell you about your friends that are online at the moment. You can ask her things like, what are my friends playing? And she'll scan your friends list. It's raining outside. You can also ask her things like, what are my friends playing? And she'll pull up a list of uh, what people on your friends list are playing and, and read to you uh, what's going on there. Um, and then finally, you can also ask Alexa, ask Xbox to pair my controller, which is pretty cool. Put your console into pairing mode so you can pair a controller to your console easier, which is actually a pretty useful feature um, because sometimes pairing can be like a little bit of a, a weird finicky situation. So maybe this will be a more convenient way to do that. Either way, new Alexa features coming to Xbox as well as some new language support. And, uh, of course, that uh, play later list for Game Pass. All right. And we've saved our biggest stories for last. So getting into our final bits of news. Cuphead, the popular 2D hand-drawn animated game from 2017, is getting a Netflix original TV show. In a joint statement announced with from Netflix, King Features, and Cuphead developer Studio MDHR, an announcement was made on Tuesday that the wildly popular game will be getting its very own Netflix original TV show, aptly called The Cuphead Show. Like the game, Netflix's The Cuphead Show will feature 1930s-style animation. It will also be hand-drawn, though not entirely to paper this time, and not by Studio MDHR themselves, but instead by Netflix's own in-house animation studio. Quote, 
we are not going to be animating this ourselves because it would never be finished, Cuphead co-creator Chad Moldenhauer told IGN. The current goal is to stay as far away from computer-assisted puppeteering animation as possible, he added. The idea will still be that every frame is hand-drawn, but probably not on paper. It's going to be hand-drawn, but digitally. Quote, traditional, he said, which is a really kind of cringy thing to say, but uh, essentially this is kind of the, the, the break it aspect of this announcement for me because as exciting as a cuphead show uh sounds as natural as the idea of a cuphead animated tv show sounds um what really what really is the draw of cuphead is the really beautiful hand-drawn style so um i mean yes it's going to be hand-drawn but if it doesn't have that like perfect hand-drawn paper kind of disney-esque classic disney-esque uh look to it it's not really going to work for me i'm sure it's going to look better than some of the other animated shows on netflix which look just very like paint by numbers computer animated um but still you know it's it's one of those things where I'm a part of me wants to say I'm disappointed that it's not going to be exactly like the game animation wise, but another part of me totally understands why that is. Uh, it's a painstaking process, and this, like much like the quote read, would literally never get done if that's if that's the route they chose. So I totally understand why they're doing it. Um, and then ultimately, this this is really one of those things where. I can't really judge the art style until I've seen it myself, so there's that. Continuing on with the story, though, the show will follow Cuphead and Mugman on their adventures throughout Inkwell Isle. The press release describes it as, quote, a character-driven comedy that follows the unique misadventures of the impulsive Cuphead and his cautious but easily swayed brother, Mugman. Through their many misadventures across the surreal home of Inkwell Isle, they've always got one another's backs. IGN asked about the intent of the show's comedy, to which the Moldenhauer brothers, creators of the game, responded, quote, It's safe for kids, but written so that there are also things that adults can find funny and appeals to a wider audience. It's not a toddler show or a little kid's cartoon. It's safe to say that the showrunners are aiming for the same kind of vibe that the game hints at. They'll be taking this idea and expanding it. The show seems to be in the very early stages of development, so don't expect a release date anytime soon. Um, and just, I would, I would say this is now that we know that it's a thing, they're going to go dark on this, and we're just not going to hear about it for a long time because even though they aren't doing like the paper hand-drawn animation style, they are still doing some form of hand-drawn animation. And judging by the sound of this news, it sounds like they're very early in the uh, early conception phases phases of this project. So I really don't think we're going to see too much on this for a long time. That being said, I am intrigued by the idea of a Cuphead show. I hope it's good because, I mean, for as much as the game doesn't really speak to me because it's just not my style of game, I, much like everyone else, am enamored by the art style of and um, the animation of that game. It would love to be able to consume that that world and that kind of franchise um, in a medium that I could maybe enjoy better, like, you know, a television show. So here's hoping that the Cuphead show really pans out and turns into something special. All right, our final story of the week comes from Windows Latest, um, a site I'm not really familiar with, uh, but they had a a really interesting article that actually broke this morning, uh, which is that Microsoft has patented a detachable controller for mobile and portable devices. Uh, So so it looks like this um, patent was actually filed back in 2017, uh, but it was actually but it was actually published uh, today. So we're just now learning about it. Uh, so Windows latest uh, found the patent and shared it um, in the application's drawings and details. Uh, detail a removable controller for mobile slash handheld devices such as smartphones, tablet computers, or portable game consoles. The article reads that. 
Microsoft talked about two removable imp input modules that can be attached to a mobile device or touchscreen to provide input controls. The inventor says that the input modules can be removed and it has been designed in such a way that it will obscure very little or none of the display area. Quote, the inputs are mapped to the software running on the touchscreen computing device and where the touchscreen device is a peripheral for the computing device, the inputs are mapped to the software running on the computer's device. The detailed description of the patent reads, the detachable game controllers can be connected to the device directly or via wireless technologies. Subsequently, the module can be detached from the touchscreen device and stored until it is used by the next user, Microsoft explains. And basically this, this um, patent shows like I want to say kind of like a Joy-Con like controller, uh, but it looks like two kind of like blockish panels that can like somehow magnetically attach onto this this thing uh, that can somehow be you know attached to this thing that can then plug into other devices or that can go to the sides of it and to the sides of a device like a touchscreen a smartphone or tablet. So while in initially this this patent sounds kind of like Microsoft making their own version of like Switch Joy-Cons, it actually looks like something that's meant more meant more for like tablets and smartphones. And of course, this would be something we would expect to see for like uh, Project X Cloud, you know? Um, so yeah, this is, I mean, who knows if this is a real thing or not? Microsoft is always R&Ding new, new hardware. So this could just be something that they are working on, something they're playing around with, but have no intention of releasing to the public. Um, but that being said, you know, this absolutely looks like something that Microsoft might be working on uh, for the release of Project X Cloud. Uh, this would alleviate some of the cumbersome control issues that come with, you know, gaming on mobile, especially if you're attempting to stream a more technical, like Xbox-like game. Um, so, I mean, the controller seems to be kind of has all your standard Xbox functions. You know, your ABXY, your two analog sticks, so they're offset. Uh, standard D-pad, start and select buttons, or view and guide buttons, as they call them. However, I mean, it looks like you could just use one of them because the Xbox button seems to be on each Joy-Con, if you will, or each side of the controller, which makes me think that there might be the ability to use each one kind of like in a Joy-Con fashion where each person gets one side of the controller and you can play some more rudimentary classic style games like in a two-player setup as opposed to just combining them together to make one standard controller. It is important to note that the input modules are powered by a quote rechargeable power source and that there's also a charging device which uh, comprises a charging mechanism uh, for charging input modules. Um, so yeah, I mean essentially this looks like Microsoft making a something between like a Joy-Con and like one of those weird like touch display grips you can buy on Amazon for your iPhone like if you're going to play like PUBG Mobile or something and I mean there's no way you can interpret this as anything other than a peripheral to make xCloud gaming on mobile touch devices more accessible however you know there is always the possibility that this has something to do with you know the rumored Xbox Live and Game Pass coming to Nintendo Switch. Perhaps Xbox is somehow getting to work on their own hardware peripheral that will be compatible with Nintendo Switch. Um, judging by the patents, it doesn't look like this piece of hardware would be compatible with Nintendo Switch, but you never know that it is a possibility. Um, it doesn't look like it slides in with like the railings that click on like a Nintendo Switch. 
It looks more like it has like this clipping mechanism or perhaps magnetic mechanism. So probably not intended for a Nintendo Switch in any way. Um, not that Nintendo Switch would really be in need of Xbox controller input uh, because Nintendo Switch really has all the button functionality of an Xbox controller. A sans, you know, actual triggers versus just ZL and ZR buttons. But yeah, I mean, this is this is interesting stuff. xCloud is imminent. It's, uh, it's, it's happening and um, Microsoft needs solutions to make you know, gaming a little more elegant on a mobile device. Um, this doesn't really look like the perfect solution because I feel like we've had kind of mobile device controllers like this for a while, although this one does look a little more module and therefore um, portable. So, you know, who knows? Maybe this will turn out to be the best kind of portable controller we've ever seen for iPhone or mobile devices or tablets. But, you know, at the time, it's just definitely something to keep our eyes on as we gear and gear up and move closer to a uh, Project X Cloud world where we are playing Xbox games on way more than just our PCs and Xboxes. And that is going to do it for this week's news. Now, on to our next segment. We're going to talk about the latest games coming to Xbox for the week of July 10th uh, to July 12th, which is basically the time frame of the week in which new games will be released on Xbox hardware. So last week, I changed things up a little bit. I kind of, instead of reading the kind of drop descriptions of each game, uh, which can be a little dry. I did my own thing where I decided to elegantly describe each and every game to you, the reader or the listener, uh, based on the singular provided screenshot, uh, which I believe gave the most accurate description of what these games truly are. And so in keeping with that uh, new segment from last week, I'm going to continue um, reading to you this week's latest games as told by these very vague and untelling screenshots. All right, our first game, Dugling's Invasion. This game comes out July 10th. So essentially what this game is, is um, back in the Club Penguin days, there were these little fuzzy pets you could have. Um, now this game is a game where you take those little fuzzy pets from Club Penguin, you trap them in bubbles, very similar to Sonic, you know, when you trap those little creatures in robot suits. Um, but in this game, you're going to take guns and shoot these creatures out of the bubbles. So basically you are enslaving them and you're capturing them and kidnapping them but then you're also going to save their lives by shooting them out of these bubble mechanisms that you've placed them in. So this is a lot like one of those like balloon games where like you shoot the balls at the uh, blocks above and try to match three and, and things like that. Except in this game, what separates it from other match three games is that when you when you shoot the blocks and the bubbles, you're not just eliminating you know colors and matching up patterns, but you're actually taking the lives of these these famed pets from uh, Club Penguin. So it's really quite a tragic game, but I think at the end of it, you'll see the uh, the kind of message about humanity and, and the worth and the value of one's life in comparison to another's, which is definitely what I think the, de the game developers are getting at in this game. So um, definitely something worth checking out if you are kind of uh, a nihilist, if you're someone um, who really just sees the worst in, in mankind, uh, because this is definitely a game that, that you need to have a bit of, um, you need to be like ready to just see the worst in humanity when you play a game like this, because it just is that, that gruesome. Um, so that is uh, Doling's Invasion. Um, our second game is Soul Seraph. Uh, this also comes out July 10th. And what this game is, is a game where you play as a magical, uh, a, a magical angel knight that shoots goblins. 
Um, but unfortunately, there are monster piranhas that will try and attack you from under the sea. And now the reason why this is notable is because clearly this is a, um, well, I mean, you've heard of like Metroid likes and like Castlevania likes, you know, the, the Metroidvania uh, genre, if you will. Um, this is a Kid Icarus like game. Um, so it's a, it's, they call it a Icarusvania game. Um, so you're basically like pit, you, you can fly, you can shoot things with an arrow. Um, but the twist to this game is that you're constantly evading piranhas because, um, as we all know, piranhas and angels just haven't ever gotten along from throughout history. Um, and so it is your duty to basically shoot the goblins, you know, speak to the gods, fill your, fulfill your missions on behalf of your kingdom, but also avoid these dangerous piranhas that seem to have like weird meme faces on them. So, I mean, it's a very interesting game. This is actually a game I'm going to recommend to no one because it looks fucking stupid. Uh, but I mean, Hey, if you're really into that, I'm not going to judge you. Um, it's definitely a game worth playing if, if you, if you don't like being judged. So definitely check that out. Uh, soul Seraph, definitely check it out. It's probably the best game of the year. Anyway, our next game is grass cutter. Uh, mutated lawns now this game is actually a must-play game not only is it coming out july 10th but it is also xbox one x enhanced now the reason why they had to xbox one x enhance this game is because it's actually made in the crossy road engine so it's that top-down isometric kind of blocky style looking game um but the thing people don't understand is that is that that game is actually that engine is actually really intensive and the xbox one isn't really powerful enough to handle a game like Crossy Roads, so they really needed to utilize the power of the Xbox One X in order to handle this um, Crossy Road-esque game. So what are you doing in this game? Are you crossing streets? Hell no. You're mowing lawns. But these lawns are very, very uh, dirty. They are very untamed. They have very tall grass, and you will have to mow this grass. Um, so swipe up to go up, down to go down, left to go left, and right. I don't know what right does but essentially you'll be able to control the lawnmower in this isometric adventure uh, where you will be attacking grass and fighting what appear to be monstrous hedges. Um, so, I mean, this game is definitely, I mean, I, it doesn't show rating, but I would assume it's at least like T, if not mature rated, uh, because you will be like destroying grass. You will be mowing the hell out of grass. And the reason why... I mean, that's suggestive or that's violent is because we all know what grass is an innuendo for. So, um, I mean, I, I think it's clever. Yes, it's funny, but this is just very inappropriate um, to be making in such a lighthearted animated style. Um, I think you're going to confuse a lot of children by making this, by releasing this game in this fashion. But regardless, I mean, gameplay wise, I can't really recommend a game like this to anyone because it's just it's nonsense. But um, if you are looking for a game that justifies the $500 purchase of the Xbox One X, then I will recommend this game because judging by the fact that it is made in the Crossy Roads engine, I mean, this is a fucking powerful game. It's going to make it's going to make cyberpunk look like shit, basically. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Um, so you're going to have to play this game if you want to see what your Xbox One X can really do. Otherwise, you know, I wouldn't really bother checking it out. It probably won't. Your standard Xbox One or One S probably won't be able to handle it anyway. The next game we've got is coming out on July 11th. It is Blazing Chrome. Now, this game actually looks kind of badass. It looks kind of like a Contra meets um, uh, like an industrial kind of steam 
steampunk, not really steampunk, but like cyber future kind of world. Um, this game looks really cool. Yeah, it looks pretty much like a, a, a futuristic sequel to Contra. Um, and if you don't know what Contra is, Contra is this classic game um, by Nintendo where you jump on like uh, mushrooms and, and green pipes and you use them to like warp to these worlds where you run really, really fast and collect these rings. And then you collect these things called Chaos Emeralds, which give you the, um, which are going to basically just empower you to, to just, you know, travel to new worlds and gain new powers and make really special friendships. So yeah, Blazing Chrome, if you love games where you shoot things, if you love games where the graphics look bad, if you love games where um, you can play with two players, but you don't have a second player to play with, I'm going to have to recommend this game to you. And judging by the looks of it, it should have, you should have no problem running this on your standard Xbox one. So uh, that's a huge plus. Our next game comes out on July 12th. It is called uh, Agelos. I'm assuming I'm pronouncing that right. It's A-G-G-E-L-O-S. Agelos. This is like kind of a bit style, anime art style. Um, so in this game, you definitely have health bars like Zelda. You also have power bars or like kind of a shooting whatever bar. Kind of, kind of like the health bar from Mega Man. And then you also have another bar that shows green health. So what I'm gathering from the screenshot is that in this game, you will have three types of health. And since the three health bars kind of look like a Final Fantasy health bar, a Mega Man health bar, and a Zelda health bar, what I'm going to assume by that is that um, it's the game's way of saying, you know, when you're dungeon crawling, when you're, when you're in mazes and doing dungeons, your health will be affected by the Zelda health bar. When you're fighting enemies, it will be your Mega Man health bar that gets affected. And when you're um, eating cup ramen and driving around in your really fancy sports car with all your male friends, um, it, you'll use your Final Fantasy health bar. You also get experience points, which is really important in this game because judging by the picture, it looks like you will fight anime green dragons. Um, and as, if there's anything Japanese gaming culture has taught us, it's that, you know, fighting dragons improving your worth and your strength as a male is just a very important part of life um, and it is where you gain the most of your experience not just in video games but in real life when you're really fighting dragons so this game is definitely a game i'm going to recommend to people who have any intention of ever visiting uh, the wonderful cultured country of japan um, if you enjoy ramen if you eat ramen and you think wow i'd really like to go to japan someday because um, I like video games and I like ramen, then this is a game I'm going to have to recommend to you. In fact, I'm pretty sure you will be shunned in Japan if you if you get there and, and people know that you haven't played this game because this game is kind of a cultural rite of passage and you're really going to be offending everyone around you if you just haven't played this game. So definitely check this out unless you want to be laughed all the way back to the United States, uh, in which case um, you'd just be an ignorant American like everyone else. Um, and you would make me look bad as a uh, uh, by way of having listened to this show. So, all right. So we've got two games left: uh, Redeemer Enchanted Edition, which I'm not going to spend too much time on because this is a game where it looks like one man punches another man, and I don't condone violence. So fuck that game. It's coming out July 12th, though. I highly recommend it. It runs best on PS4 because it's getting totally like exclusive day one DLC, where you'll be able to punch with your left hand. Um, so, I mean, if you like left hand punches, which are definitely like about as powerful as right hand punches, I'd recommend the PS4 version. Otherwise, the Xbox version is not going to work very well for you because um, if someone breaks your Xbox controller, you won't be able to play the game at all. 
Um, and then the last one we've got here is Streets of Rogue. No, I didn't say Streets of Rage. I said Streets of Rogue. What that means is um, in this game, you play as some bald 8-bit character uh, who is, for some reason, larger than all the other characters in the game. Um, I am assuming the reason why your character is so much larger than all the other tiny characters in the game is because you're taking performance-enhancing drugs. Um, so again, I'm going to have to give this game an M rating. I don't know the rating, but it should absolutely get an M rating. Now, it is important to note this game is absolutely like an 8-bit style game, like a true 8-bit style game. However, the description reads that it is Xbox One X enhanced. So again, I'm going to go ahead and say 8-bit. Let's see. The Xbox is called, the, the current generation of Xbox hardware is called the Xbox One. This game is is in an 8-bit style. Um, I mean, last time I fucking checked, the Xbox One can only handle one bit. So um, this game being 8-bit, I mean, you'll be lucky if the Xbox One X enhancements allow you to even handle this game because... I, I mean, just my Xbox, my standard Xbox One can only handle one bit, so I don't know how you're going to get eight bits out of this game. But, um, I mean, good luck to you. I mean, this game just looks like a technical marvel, honest to God. I mean, it's just a, it's a masterpiece. Without having played it, I can already tell you it's at least better than Stardew Valley and Undertale, which are my favorite games of all time right now. Um, I still play them every night, other than Animal Crossing and Sims 4. Like, those are my favorite games of all time right now, so, like... I'm definitely going to have to recommend this game to everyone. Um, if you're young, I think this is probably the first video game you should ever play. I think, just judging by the art style alone, it encapsulates everything that's really like critical to explaining what makes video games so unique as an art form. Um, not only that, but I think this game is definitely going to deal with a lot of themes about depression and um, kind of self-actualization. Um, also, the game is definitely about existentialism. Uh, because it's called Streets of Rogue, um, and that's just pretty obvious. If you need me to explain it, then you're a fucking idiot, so I'm not going to insult you by explaining that, because you should know by this point. Um, but yeah, definitely check that game out. Definitely, definitely check that game out, and that's going to do it for our list of new games coming to Xbox One this week. All right, so we're running a little long this week, so we're going to blast through the last bit of news, or the last bit of information we have. Basically, just to recap, as far as uh, new game releases and such go coming soon to xbox game pass as i mentioned last week we got undertale coming to pc lego city undercover coming to console time spinner coming to pc and then dead rising 4 uh, shadow of war blazing chrome and cordia all coming to both console and pc so a bunch of new games coming to game pass uh, definitely something to look out for. Shadow of War. That's a pretty good one if you like. Uh, if you like playing not too old, like big, big budget games and such. Other than that, um, as a reminder, for the uh, on July 31st, a handful of games will be leaving Xbox Game Pass. So just as a reminder, those games are uh, Dandara, Dead Rising 2, but keep in mind Dead Rising 4 is coming to Game Pass. Um, Hitman Season One, Metal Slug XX, Defense Grid, The Awakening. Hexic 2, and Iron Brigade. All of those games will be leaving Xbox Game Pass July 31st. So if you want to play them, make sure you get some time in uh, while the month is still going on. And then as a quick reminder, we said this last week, uh, the games with gold for the month of July are the two free games, Inside and Big Crown Showdown. Xbox 360 owners can get Castlevania Symphony of the Night and Meet the Robinsons based on the twenty or sorry 2007 Disney uh, animated movie that was actually not that bad despite being from a uh, rougher time in the studio's uh, history. Castlevania will be available from July 1st through 15th. 
while Meet the Robinsons will be available all month long. And then Inside will be available all month long, while Big Crown Showdown will only be available uh, from July 16th to August 15th. So just a reminder for that. And then lastly, the Game Pass Spotlight game uh, for this week. The game I'm going to recommend for you check out on Game Pass this week is called Darksiders War Mastered Edition. Now, you may have heard of Darksiders. It kind of has like middling amount of like success, or I, I, at least I feel like it does. Um, but yeah, the game came out, I don't know, 2010, 2011-ish, maybe, 20, 2009 perhaps. Uh, but it was originally made by Vigil Games, and then, you know, all the THQ shit went down, and now um, the, this, the franchise has kind of recently come back with some re-releases of the first two games, as well as a proper third entry, Darksiders 3, which came out last fall. Um, but yeah, in 2016, Kaiko uh, took on a remastered edition for THQ Nordic and released uh, Darksiders War Master Edition. A lot of people say that these games are kind of like um, kind of like Zelda games. Um, I don't personally see that. I've only played about five hours of the game, but I really don't think it's too much like Zelda. Um, it's kind of like you know, there's like minimal like dungeon exploring and puzzle solving, but not really like to Zelda scale. Um, the combat's pretty straightforward, but it's nice. It's mindless. It's hacky slashy. The graphics aren't too great, uh, but the world is kind of interesting. The characters are goofy. It's it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's a little like brutal legends in terms of like I don't know why that's kind of like the vibe I get while playing it. Um, but yeah, it's a fun game. I mean, if you're just looking for like a fun action like fighting kind of long ass game to explore with like a, a decent amount of combat and some decent mechanics not too in-depth but not too basic i think this is a pretty fun game especially while we're in these like dry spell summer months i recommend checking it out it's definitely not my my favorite game but i i think a lot of people slept on these games including myself um and it's definitely something worth checking out all right now that is everything normally i would end the show here but like i said at the top i want to talk about my review impressions, and some discussion about Halo Outpost Discovery, which happened this uh, past weekend. So this year is the first year they've ever done this. Uh, 343 basically put on, like, it's kind of like Halo's equivalent to, like, a Halo-dedicated convention. But rather than being a specific, like, or standard, rather, kind of convention where it's, like, people dress up, they cosplay, they show up for the weekend, there's some panels, people shop for merchandise, and they dick off with friends, it was, um... A little bit of a different take on like the convention where it's more of like uh, a pop-up like immersive almost like theme park inspired uh, experience where you know you walk into this massive showroom floor and instead of there just being like panel stages and different halls with different kinds of activities it's more like um, six major attractions or more like five major attractions plus a smaller one um, so basically what I mean by this is like these are ranging anywhere from like a VR experience to a laser tag experience to a uh, kind of museum like exhibit walkthrough experience uh, to some escape room experiences um, and just like a target range practice shooting area. Um, so honestly, like just off description, the attractions or the experiences for this event didn't sound all that exciting to me. You know, when the event was initially announced, I just knew oh my god, there's like a Halo-like event. I have to go to this because I'm a massive Halo fan, and this is the closest thing we've ever had to like a dedicated Halo convention, so there's no way I'm going to miss it. Um, I had every intention of going to this event, and it just so happened for me that I uh, luckily moved to Orlando around like right before this event took place, so I was fortunate enough to go to this event because, um, you know, just like down the road from where I now live. Um, so... 
yeah, I mean, I showed up Friday, super excited to check this thing out, not really knowing what to expect. I bought the three-day pass so I could experience, you know, everything the event has to offer or as much as I could um, in the allotted three days. Um, and one thing I will say is the event, hours-wise, was a little shorter than a lot of other kind of conventions, if you will. Uh, I mean, like, I think on Friday, it went the event went from, like, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m., which is just really weird. Um, but like, I'm like, okay, it's the first day of the event. So surely Saturday will be longer. I think Saturday, the event went from like 10 AM to 7 PM or something like that. Like it ended way too early. Like I'm used to like going to, I've been to a handful of conventions in my time, you know, I've been to dragon con and Momocon both in Atlanta. I've been to D 23 out in Anaheim, California. I've been, you know, I, I follow enough with that scene to get an idea of like what, what conventions are generally like. And I mean, this convention, like it just ends so early in the day. And it was very weird because you would think like it would have maybe like a, a weird ravey dance party type thing that I would normally not attend because I feel like conventions just always have those late at night. Uh, it would have like late night panels or like late night halo tournaments, but no, it really had none of that. Like at towards the end of the night, the thing just kind of like fizzled out and just hard end. It was really weird because as much fun as I had the event and as inviting and nice as the staff was, um, right before like a night of the event would end, like a, in the last 15, 20 minutes, they would just hard shut down the entire event, like kicking people out of lines, telling people to stop playing games and like, just turn everything off, turn up the lights in the convention center and just like push everyone out. And, like, honestly, like the very last day of the event, I was a little like, I felt a little robbed of the experience because um, they had Halo Fireteam Raven, the recently released Halo arcade game. And I was playing it, you know, the the event ended for good on Sunday night around 5 p.m. And it was like 4.45. I'm like, cool, you know, I've done everything I want to do at this event. It's the last 15 minutes of the event. I'm just going to play Halo Fireteam Raven for the last 15 minutes and kind of end on that good note playing, you know, this Halo arcade game that I normally don't have access to. And so, like, I'm playing it. Uh, it's like 9.40, or sorry, it's like 4.45, 15 minutes before the event ends. And then, like, the guy, the random guy I'm just playing the game with because it's a f up to four-player game. Uh, the, so the random stranger I'm just playing the game with, we complete the level we're on, and we just look at each other and we're like, oh, this game's awesome. And then, you know, one of the attendants, one of the people working, one of the event staff comes up to us and they're like, oh, the level's over? All right, guys, we hope you had fun. And she just shuts the whole thing down. She's just like... Be sure to check us out. We're coming to Philadelphia in two weeks so you can come experience everything again. And, like, thank you for showing up. The event's officially over. And we're just, like, she's, like, being real polite but, like, kicking us out. And we're just, like, I'm just looking at her, like, dude, I'm in Orlando. Like, I'm not <laughs> – I have no plans on, like, going to Philadelphia to go to the second event because, for those that don't know, this is kind of like a traveling convention or event where it's going to go to Orlando. Then I think Philadelphia. I think Dallas. Um, it ends in Anaheim, California. But – uh, it's going to a couple cities, a couple major cities. I'm just like, like, what the hell? You're like kicking us out in the last 15 minutes and then inviting us to come see you at a different city. I'm like, what are you doing? It was just a very awkward kind of uh, rushed, abrupt ending. Um, so that was just kind of a weird nitpick. But other than that, I really want to like go event by event and kind of praise or talk about what I liked and didn't like about the event. So essentially you walk in. Um, it, th this event felt felt very much like a first year event where um, I think, you know, if this event is very successful and continues to grow in future years, we'll see the number of experiences and the number of panels and offerings expand. Uh, but yeah, this year it definitely felt like um, I don't want to say there wasn't enough to do because I, I definitely was able to use 
every second I had at the event wisely. It felt like it felt like I, I wasn't wasting time or I had done everything and I wanted to just leave early. Like I felt like I wanted to be there every minute I could. Um, but it just definitely felt smaller compared to some other conventions I've been at. The amount of hours that the event was open felt like substantially like shorter compared to other events I've been to. Um, it just, it just kind of felt you know, like a first year's effort, like give us a couple years and we'll make this grander and, and more impressive. But, um, I came in with that expectation. So I wasn't really surprised when I, when I walked away feeling like the event was a little like small scale. Um, but that being said, you walk into the event and immediately you're greeted with kind of like this massive themed room. It's not like Disneyland level of theming by any means, um, but it, it is cool. Like they definitely put a lot of work into this event. It, the first thing you see when you walk in is kind of this like museum exhibit where it has like all these like all these walls with all this artwork explaining like the history of like the history of like the foundation of the UNSC and like the discovery of slip space technology and how that propelled humankind into the future where we colonize different planets. And then it came in contact with the covenant and kind of just like the, the rise, uh, like the fall of reach and, and the rise of the master chief and the, in the covenant war. And just, it, it's like this awesome museum exhibit with these excellent, like real life recreations of like, master chief in a an elite uh covenant and uh, a warthog that you can like just take pictures of and check out and everything's really cool if you're a halo fan this is definitely something you want to check out it's just super fun to like nerd out over this and to just kind of like explore the lore of the halo universe and like gawk over these really impressive uh recreations of these of these characters and these machines and these, these things from the game that we recognize and we love so much. Uh, it's just really, really neat. Um, and then they also have this companion app, like app for iPhone and Android that they made, um, where it has like this AR scanner and you can like scan things throughout the, the whole event. And like, there's like AR, like augmented reality, like a uh, little like Easter eggs you can find. So there's like a lot of incentive to use this app. And it's really cool to just kind of scan everything throughout the event and just kind of explore and take your time, just kind of appreciating the art, appreciating the statues, appreciating the history. And then also trying to play this game of like, Oh, let me find all these AR tags so I can scan them and see like what kind of videos or AR models I can see. And it's just, it was, it was really fun definitely very well thought out and i really as like a, a big halo fan i definitely appreciate it although you know if you're at this event because like your friends are really into halo or you're being dragged by your your significant other who's really into halo i could see how these kind of aspects of the event are very uh very boring or not not terribly exciting although i mean i don't think that's a fair criticism when the event is really geared towards halo nuts you know it's a very specific niche event all focused on halo um so it, it is the place where you should go and be able to have experiences like this so i, I thought that was really excellent um, when you first walk in if you take a direct a direct left um you have the shooting range which is a little like a uh, event where or sorry it's like this little attraction this is like the small attraction whereas everything else is like a, a bigger draw um this is the one that you could arguably say isn't an attraction but basically what it is is you wait in line and then you're given a choice to choose either a magnum or an smg one of the guns from halo and you're handed basically like a nerf facsimile a nerf like a nerf gun like the toy a facsimile of these weapons from the halo universe you walk over to like what's essentially like an arcade cabinet. It kind of looks like those basketball arcade games where like you take the actual basketball and like shoot hoops and try to get high scores and earn tickets. Um, but at the end of it, at the end of the machine, instead of a basketball hoop, it's actually a screen. 
Um, and it's like a shooting range where you're like shooting Covenant. And so you're basically like using like these Nerf guns themed to Halo guns. And you're shooting at the screen trying to get like target practice. And, you know, it's not like groundbreaking or anything, but it was really cool because like the guns looked kind of like um, a Magnum or an SMG from the Halo universe. Uh, and it's just it's just kind of like a fun little thing off the side. There was never a very long wait for this, so it was nice to just be able to do this a couple times uh, when I didn't feel like waiting for some of the other attractions, which had much, like, substantially larger lines. Um, so this, like, it was really more of, like, an additional side offering, so I don't have much to say of it in terms of, like, whether it was good or bad. Um, it just kind of was what it was, and it was there, and I, I appreciate having it as an additional offering. Um, but then next to that, you have the merch store, and that's where they were selling all the official merchandise for Halo Outpost Discovery. I was able to snag a really cool t-shirt. They had a lot of really cool, authentic, exclusive merchandise for this event, uh, ranging from hats, shirts, jackets. You get certain things like um, embroidered with like with logos or names, or, like your gamer tag. Um, really cool merch for this event. Um, but then they had some like more generic merch, like that energy sword or like a Master Chief helmet. Uh, but they're like the kinds that you get at, like a Halloween store you get on Amazon they weren't like exclusive versions of these props uh, just for the event um, but that didn't stop people from buying them because I, I swear like one in three people bought this Master Chief helmet that I've seen in Halloween stores for years but I mean more power to them they sold that thing like crazy um, the merchandise overall was pretty solid I I think I already said I, I got a pretty cool t-shirt that I'm happy with so um, merch offering solid um, I was glad as a Halo fan that I was able to get like some snag, some cool memorabilia from the event. Um, and then now I'll get into the attraction. So basically in the dead center of the entire experience is this attraction called the ring. It's kind of like this exhibit where you walk through like these three sections and you wear these headphones kind of like you would in like a, like a big museum. Um, and as you like walk through these exhibits, the headphones like trigger these like, um, these sound bits where they tell you about like this aspect of history or this machine or the flood or like guilty spark three, four, three. And there are these really cool models to accompany these, like um, these exhibits. And so it's just really cool. Like kind of, again, it's like a, it's like a bigger scale version of the museum. When you first walk into the event, you just learn a bunch about the lore. Um, and there's a new, there's a new vehicle um, that they explain to you that I don't, to my knowledge, hasn't been introduced in the halo universe. So I assume this is something We'll see in uh, Halo Infinite. So that was really cool. And then at the end of this event, after you get to like see what an actual like flood would look like, and you get to see like this model of 343 Guilty Spark, and you get to see um, like just all this really cool stuff, you're brought into like this dome room where there's like this projected 360 degree dome video. And they play like this video overviewing like what a halo ring is and kind of exploring like the life form that exists on it and kind of the natural landscapes of a halo ring. It's super freaking cool. And I swear to God, I think the video footage they use is like, like B roll footage from like halo infinite in engine or something, because I've never seen anything like this. And it really looked like it felt like the video felt like reminiscent of like that halo infinite trailer from E3 2018. Um, and they were very strict about no photography, no filming inside the dome, which leads me to believe that there's something Halo Infinite related in there, um, which is just really cool. But either way, the dome experience was really neat. Um, again, it was one of those things like as a Halo nerd, it was just fun to geek out and really appreciate the whole experience and to just kind of be immersed in the Halo universe and to pretend all that was real and that you were really surrounded by it. Um, but my big gripe was that with this, which is... Um, this was the the first attraction I experienced. I experienced this the day uh, the event started, 
and I waited in line for two and a half hours to do this. So I went to the event alone. I basically just read a book the whole time I was in line. I was actually reading through one of the Halo books. So it was kind of nice. You know, I was waiting for these attractions. I'm reading this Halo book. It all felt cohesive. It all felt themed and kind of in character. So I, it didn't bug me too much. And also as someone who like frequents theme parks a lot, um, I long waits, I feel like I'm somewhat immune to them because I'm just so used to them that they don't bug me as much as the average, you know, guest. But when I really think about it, these wait times were absurd. And again, I know this was a, a new first time event. So I expect there to be some hiccups. I don't expect things to go off smoothly. But the wait time for this attraction were, was absurd. Um, and people were really complaining about it. And when I looked at Reddit, it seemed like people were really not pleased with what this experience was uh, when compared to how long they waited to experience it. So that's a huge issue. Um, but I'm hoping this is something they can kind of figure out with crowd control management uh, throughout the course of the rest of this event as it travels to the next city and the next city. Um, and then, of course, I mean, the only immediate, I mean, the only like long term fix I could really see for addressing this would be if next year they had more offerings, more attractions, more panels and more experiences to kind of disperse the crowds a little more so that the few attractions they have wouldn't have such massive lines. Um, I mean, the wait times for all these attractions, as I would learn um, after experiencing this ring attraction, is that everything just had a very long wait. Um, so after the ring, I went over to the Pelican Experience, which is basically like this cargo ship. I waited in line for an hour and a half. You put in this cargo ship. It's kind of like themed like the interior of a Pelican. And then this Sarge like comes in and runs you through like what you're going to be doing. Essentially, it's like a baby's first escape room. You're given like you go up to this panel and you have all these buttons and knobs and switches. And like the Pelican's like having an emergency landing and you're listening to the instructions, trying to react, um, adjust the switches and turn the knobs just so so that you pass the mission. Uh, the guy running the um, experience told us that not many people succeeded and passed the mission. And me and my group of six people, I think it was, uh, failed our mission. So um, we were one of the many groups that didn't succeed. Um, but honestly, as far as this event goes, again, waited a really long time to do it. I didn't mind quite so much. I was happy to just enjoy my book and to wait in line. Uh, and if you're going to wait in line, I'm ha happy for it to be inside a nice air conditioned convention and not outside in the Florida heat at like a Disney theme park. So whatever, I was totally okay with it. Um, but I could tell guests were really unhappy with what the attraction was compared to how long they waited for it. Um, and I think that's a, a really valid argument because the attraction wasn't super impressive. I just enjoyed it because the interior was themed like a Pelican. I like Halo and I, I didn't have super high expectations for what they were going to create uh, with this attraction. And I think that's kind of the common theme with my experience was I was impressed or I had a good time because I really didn't have super high expectations for what these attractions were going to be. Um, and so I was, I, I, overall I was just fine on, on the Pelican experience. It was a little underwhelming, but you know, it was a fun experience to kind of get to be inside the interior of a Pelican, um, and working together with that random group of people I was paired with was just fun and chaotic. Um, so I had a good time, but I could definitely see how people would be disappointed or underwhelmed by this experience. So by this time I had spent so much of my day waiting in line for merch and these two experiences and just by kind of scoping out the convention that I didn't really have time to do much else. So I spent the remainder of my, like the three hours remaining in the day waiting in line to do the VR experience. They called the training grounds. Now I knew this was one of the bigger attractions and I was trying to save the nicer, bigger attractions for last so I could enjoy them the most. I did not, 
I was not prepared for how good this experience was going to be. Now, to preface again, I waited about an hour and a half in line, and this was towards the end of the day when the crowds had died down, so I know people were waiting two to three hours for this thing. But I gotta say, it was it was worth it. I have no regrets about waiting in line for this attraction. Um, when you look at it, you just see a bunch of people with HTC Vives on, running around looking stupid on like this little block, this little this little like battlefield, like uh, sang- sectioned off uh, arena they had. Um, and it looked really goofy and pathetic. But when you actually experience it, this attraction was incredible. So the, you, you're given an HTC Vive with those tracking uh, controller um, things. And you're given like this backpack, which like senses your motion. Um, so this is like a very full fledged, fully realized and immersive VR experience where you're it's, it's two teams, three V three red versus blue classic halo multiplayer. And you, you're basically put on each side of the map. Um, and then these like artificial barricades come up and kind of like add cover to the map. And you have to kind of walk around this field, traversing like these barricades and, and eliminate the other team players. You're given um, a plasma pistol to fight with. And it's just putting on the VR headset. I don't have too much experience using like high quality VR. So this is very new to me for the most part. But like it just looks so goofy and looks so half ass when you're online. But then the second you put on that VR headset and they boot up the game and you're put in that VR world, like immediately you're in Valhalla from Halo Reach and you're just, you're there and you look like a Spartan and you see other Spartans and you have this plasma pistol and it just feels so natural shooting it. It feels just like you're living like a real Halo experience. And I know that sounds so corny, but this was an incredible experience. I was blown away by how fun this was, how immersive this was. Like almost instantly my brain forgot that I was in this convention center um, in front of a public crowd with this VR headset walking around looking like an idiot pointing a controller at other people shooting. Um, but in through the through the screen of my headset, I was transported to the, this Halo map and it just it just felt so incredibly like immersive and it was so much fun. Um, it just I mean, it was just really, really incredible. And I really hope this is something 343 releases as a standalone purchase or download for HTC Vive because honestly, I would buy an HTC Vive just to be able to play this at home. It was really freaking cool. And I can't stress enough, if you attend this event, you have to experience the VR. I don't care if the wait is two or three hours. You have to experience this. It is really, really incredible. Um, So that was absolutely worth the wait. So by the time I finished with that, the day was pretty much over. I didn't have much time to do uh, much else. The only other thing I did that I forgot to mention was they did have a bunch of consoles set up in one corner of the event where they had Xbox Ones and PCs where you could play any Halo from Master Chief Collection or Halo 5, and you could do these LAN parties, and it was really awesome. Um, I didn't really partake in any of those, but they did have a bunch of PCs set up with an early build of Halo Reach running on the Master Chief Collection for PC. Um, so I definitely went ahead and checked that out. Um, I haven't played Halo Reach in a couple of years, so all I'm with like a foggy memory in mind. Um, it felt like Halo Reach. It definitely looked a little prettier. It looked like the lighting was a little brighter. Uh, the game's running in 4K, so everything looked a little prettier. Um, and as someone who doesn't play a lot of PC games, I felt like the controls were pretty good. But yeah, it was just it was just fun to check that out. It reminded me how much I love Reach and. I'm really excited for it to come to Master Chief Collection so I can replay Reach on my Xbox One. Um, so I definitely checked that out, and I think that's something worth checking out if you're going to the event because it's just cool to be able to like experience that before it actually comes out. 
Um, I know that's a that's a feature or an update coming to Master Chief Collection that people are really excited about. So I thought that was pretty cool that they had that there. But yeah, that was basically my whole first day. Uh, second day I got there, I experienced um, the two more attractions. So on the second day, I got in and I did the laser tag, which they call combat deck. Now again, this is another experience that's going to be kind of like the VR experience where it's like, okay, laser tag. I mean, everyone knows what laser tag is. Everyone's everyone's done laser tag before. This is like next level laser tag. And I know that sounds so goofy, but you got to believe me. Again, if you're going to this event, I don't care if it's a two or three hour wait, you've got to experience this. Um, so basically the entire map is recreated to look like, uh, it looks kind of like, man, I'm forgetting the name of it, that map from Halo 3. Um, but either way, um, so it's like a big team battle style, like multiplayer experience. I think it's like 8v8 or something like that. It's a, they get a lot of people in there. But the map is extremely well themed. Everything, like you're transported to like a Halo 3 multiplayer map. Uh, your laser tag gun looks like a Halo AR. Uh, it has a reload button on the side. It has a little digital display on the side, which shows your kills, your deaths, and your accuracy. So you can calculate your KDR. Um, and then it has like a little power bar on the side to show your health shield. Because as you fight in this laser tag arena, you are given a, a, a shield like in Halo um, that depletes before you take damage from your health and die. It's just super freaking cool. It's actual Slayer. You're basically playing legitimate Slayer from Halo, but in a laser tag arena. And it just, again, like they had, they played like music in there from like Halo. Uh, they like the sound effects when you're getting shot, like you can hear your shield depleting and recharging. Um, and then like when you go back to respawn, you go back to your base, you point your gun up to the light and then it respawns you back into the map and it plays the classic halo respawn sound. It's so cool. Um, it's just, again, it's one of those things like it, it, the accuracy, the shooting feels so right. You actually get a reticle. So if you look into the gun's uh, scope, you get a little red dot sight, which makes aiming and, and shooting way easier and way more like a tactile, I guess for laser tag, you know, um, it just, it, it was such a cool experience. I highly, highly recommend this, this honestly, the combination of the laser tag and the VR experience alone are absolutely worth the price of admission. I think getting to experience, if, if all you do is go to halo outpost discovery and experience those two things, I think it's worth the money alone. It's, it was so incredibly fun, especially if you're just a diehard halo fan um i mean i had an absolute blast waited about an hour an hour and a half to experience it uh, but it was absolutely worth it now the final attraction is the covenant escape room this is the only one i'll say is straight up just not good basically it's another one of those like cargo ships kind of like the pelican experience you get in there it's a rudimentary escape room you're, you go through like these three rooms of puzzles and if you don't solve the puzzles in like within two minutes the uh, computer room like AI just overrides the whole thing and completes it for you and these puzzles are really goofy up to the point where like the last puzzle is essentially like you plug these shapes into like a, 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 a hole in the wall and then the door just opens and the attendant's like all right you're done come on out and it's just the only redeeming quality of this experience I can think of is that the interior of the ship is pretty cool it looks like you know you're in a covenant ship it's painted and designed well so that that's neat but the actual experience itself is just laughably bad. It is the only one of these experiences I think is like genuinely like a total failure, a total miss. Like I'm glad I experienced it just because I wanted to experience everything the event had to offer. So I don't regret doing it in that regard. Um, but if you're someone who doesn't feel compelled to do everything there, if you're someone who feels like, you know, if I just do all the things that people say are really awesome and I miss all the attractions that people aren't hot on, 
then I'll still feel good, then I, I'm telling you right now, you can just skip this one because it's it's pretty weak. Um, but that's the only one I was really down on. Everything else ranged from like kind of cool to pretty cool to mind-blowing like the VR and the laser tag. Um, so luckily I was able to do the laser tag a second time before the weekend ended, so that was excellent. Um, but yeah, that was pretty much the extent of it. There's also like kind of a dealer section where they have like third-party like vendors selling things they had mega blocks there they had like i said the arcade cabinets of halo team fire team raven so you could play the arcade game they had some miscellaneous you know vendors selling some things um so it's just like you know like i said it, it felt very much like a first year's attempt at an event you know like if this is successful and they do it again next year i expect that the event will grow drastically both in like offerings and attendance so i try to keep that in mind now the last thing i'll mention about the event is um in the companion app available uh there are like this set of like achievements and rewards when you when you set up your event ticket to the app it assigns you a spartan in like a gamer tag and then you're given like this profile where you like you unlock achievements for like experiencing the attractions or performing well in certain attractions and scanning hidden qr codes throughout the event that you gotta look for so it really incentivizes you to rewrite things to do your best uh perform your best in these attractions and to explore the event space which i think is really cool and then that was kind of rewarded with as you unlock these scans you're able to go up to the information desk and redeem them for like actual prizes which were um these like halo dog tags i was able to get a couple of them but the app was a little shaky it's definitely a 1.0 release that was having some issues um so i wasn't able to find everything and scan everything properly but i was able to you know gain some level ups and experience points and redeem for a couple of dog tag collectibles so i thought that was a really fun like little addition especially if it's like if you're at a point where it's like, oh, we've done most of the experiences or the lines are too long, this really offers uh, another thing for people to do uh, where they can just kind of wander around and explore the event and, and feel incentivized to do these things because they can get these little prizes, which I think is just really, really cool. Yeah, it, there were some technical difficulties. Some of the QR codes weren't scanning properly. The app was kind of finicky and slow. Um, but again, it's like one of those things where it's like, first weekend first event the apps in 1.0 i expected there to be many problems everything worked relatively well considering all things um so i wasn't really disappointed now i said i, I know i said that was the last of it but uh, i will say they also had a mixer stage where they were just streaming to mixer all day they had a bunch of twitch spo uh, sponsored twitch and mixer streamers who were just like streaming on there the whole time they did a couple live panels they had some members from 343 there uh and then finally steve downs and jen taylor the voice of master chief and cortana were at the event now i had no intention of meeting them because i just don't like to meet famous people i i feel like i have nothing to say to them and i don't value an autograph so i didn't feel any personal need to meet them um but from what i saw on reddit the entire process of waiting to meet these these uh, these people was an entire shit show. People were showing up in line an hour, two hours before the signings were supposed to take place, and then the event staff would come in the last minute and say, all right, we're handing out raffle tickets to see who gets to meet them because this is well at capacity, and people who were waiting in line for hours were denied the opportunity to meet these uh these actors and get this their signings uh basically because of this arbitrary raffling system the the lines for these meet and greets were incredibly long and and the event staff from what i understand didn't handle it all too well they weren't aggressive or mean to the crowds but they were just definitely 
definitely didn't handle it as it was supposed to be handled in terms of logistics. Um, and there was a lot of backlash for it. I mean, if you go on Reddit, if you go to the Halo Reddit page, there's a lot of people still complaining about this. Um, it was just, it was definitely, unfortunately, a major sour note that um, left a bad impression on a lot of people who attended the event, which again, it's just really quite unfair because the event was really special otherwise. Um, and I, And I hate that, you know, this is how a lot of people are going to remember it. But yeah, that totally happened. And it's just something worth mentioning. Um, if you are going to this event with the hopes of meeting Steve Downs or Jen Taylor and getting an autograph, getting to shake their hands, um, just know that it seems like all three days of the event, this signing opportunity did not pan out very well for a lot of people. And I don't know if they'll be able to rectify and kind of reassess uh, how they're going to handle this meet and greet for future events so just be aware of that if that's something you're planning on doing um, but otherwise aside from that which didn't really ex- affect me at all because I had no intentions of meeting them I would say the event was successful I walked away at the end of that v- event feeling like I got to do everything I wanted to do I was overall really impressed with the event as someone who generally doesn't like conventions I've got to say this was the most fun I've ever had at a convention like experience and I think that was due in part to the more uh, attraction experience related aspects of it rather than just being your typical people in cosplay, uh, some panels and things like that. So overall, Halo Outpost Discovery, a really solid first year in my opinion. Um, I really hope they do it again next year because I would love to experience that VR and that laser tag attraction again. And I would love to see, you know, what 343 and everyone involved with the event could do uh, for a second go round at this, how they could improve the things that were weak this year, how they could expand to make the event bigger. Um, and I just, I just love to see this event grow as a Halo fan, as someone who just wants to see 343 succeed, as someone who wants to see Halo attain a, a bigger status again, like it once had. I just, I just want to see this do well. And, and just as a Halo fan generally, I just want to be able to um, have a place, an event where I can go to once a year and just nerd out and enjoy my appreciation for this franchise in full swing like I was able to do this past weekend. Um, so that was my my thoughts and everything on Halo Outpost Discovery. Uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to that, and um, I hope if you get the chance that you're able to make it out there because, again, like I said, uh, there really are some experiences and some, some aspects of the event that are totally worth the price of admission. With that being said, this episode has gone on painfully long, uh, and I know probably no one's listening at this point, so I'm going to edit this down substantially, get a lot of those ums and ahs out of here. Um, sorry if you heard any lightning or thundering, or sorry, thunder in the background. Uh, we had a, a nasty storm pass by as I was recording this podcast. Um, but as always, you know, thank you so much for listening to Xbox On. Um, remember to rate us on iTunes. Remember, you can subscribe to us. We're on YouTube, we're on Stitcher, we're on, like I just said, iTunes, we're on SoundCloud, all of your favorite podcast services. We're there, Spotify, whatever. Check us out, or I guess it's me. Just check me out, check out my show. Uh, And until next week, you know, thank you so much for listening. (laughs) 